Is it just me, or does the sudden appearance of some mythical creature that has never been proven to exist make you think of beings from the olden days, like the Loch Ness Monster, or Mothman, or Bigfoot? Am I naive? That's a rhetorical question. Or does it seem unlikely that in modern times, with all our science and recording equipment, that the emergence of a brand new kind of cryptid would even be possible? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I am, as you may well know by now, a gullible skeptic who believes in the scientific method, but can also be convinced that somehow a giant humanoid ape species has existed alongside us sapiens all this time, despite any actual physical evidence. Maybe it's just that I like the idea that we don't know everything. Today, we'll travel to the not-so-distant past to meet a modern-day cryptid that is kind enough, or smart enough, to leave people alone, but is still terrifying nonetheless. It boggles my mind that the 1990s were so long ago. When I was a teenager in the 90s, we were doing fashion throwbacks to my parents' era of the late 60s slash early 70s. Bell-bottoms came back, platform shoes, rose-colored sunglasses. We were rocking it way old school. But 1993 was a lot closer to 1973 than 2023 is to 1993. Time is a weird concept, man. And so, while some of you might consider the 90s to be the olden days, to me, it's basically yesterday. So to learn that a new cryptid popped into existence in the 90s is hard to wrap my head around. I thought we humans had become too rational and science-forward to believe in such things. Ha <laughs> ha! How young and naive I was in the olden days. In the summer of 1995, I was way too busy losing my virginity, listening to a lot of Depeche Mode, and shooting an independent film down in South Carolina to know that down in Puerto Rico, someone or something was going around attacking livestock, draining the animals of their blood, and leaving their empties, aka mutilated corpses, as evidence. Soon, this mysterious animal killer had a name, Chupacabra or goat sucker. It didn't take long for residents to come forward claiming to have seen the culprit. The first one to speak up was Madeline Tolentino from Barrio Campo Rico in Canovanas, Puerto Rico. In August of 1995, Tolentino gave an interview for an extremely reputable paper. Oh, I'm sorry, I misread that. She gave an interview to UFO Digest. In fairness, I doubt the New York Times would have hopped on the phone to talk to Tolentino about what she saw. But this is why journals like UFO Digest are bringing us the real news. Anyway. Tolentino and her mother claim to have seen the thing in the middle of the day seemingly just standing there for a full three minutes. She told UFO Digest, I told my mother, I saw the devil. She said the beast was, quote, built like a kangaroo without a tail with powerful hind legs. She also noted a web-like film hanging beneath its short, pudgy arms, end quote. 
But Tolentino and her mother were not the only ones who saw this thing that day. Tolentino's husband and a fellow co-worker tried to catch the creature, but it eluded them. After it was over, I said to my mother, we better not tell anybody about this because they'll think we're crazy. Though clearly they did tell some people or we wouldn't be doing this. Though reports could have come from any one of the nearly 200 sightings that flooded in after that initial sighting. In the second part of the interview, which for some reason the article itself claims, quote, usually goes unreported, end quote, Tolentino says someone asked her to draw the creature, but since she couldn't draw, she described it to someone who could, and they produced quite the image. The thing looks like if an alien and a kangaroo had a baby with leopard spots, chicken hands, wolf feet, and dinosaur spikes that allegedly changed color like a set of LED strip lights. Like a Maurice Sendak drawing on acid. By November of 1995, newspaper accounts in the U.S. mainland began covering the bizarre livestock murders with another totally reputable paper, the New York Daily News, running an article with the headline, Goat Sucker Punch in PR! Waka, waka. That article said, quote, Known in Spanish as chupacabras, the red-eyed, hairy-armed beast has been blamed for the deaths of dozens of cats, dogs, cows, horses, turkeys, rabbits, and goats, cops say. The hysteria has been fanned by almost daily reports of goat sucker attacks like the latest incident in which the beast reportedly destroyed a stuffed teddy bear and left behind a puddle of slime and a piece of rancid meat. People are frightened, said Mayor Jose Soto of Canovanes, who said his city of 40,000 people had been visited by the beast 35 times. But other government officials said people who believe in the beast are suckers. They said the animals were probably killed by wild monkeys. Soto said he doesn't buy that explanation. Monkeys don't suck blood, he said. They don't steal organs. End quote. So it seems now the thing wasn't just sucking its victims' blood, but it was also taking their organs. The Philadelphia Daily News reported, quote, It sucks the blood from dogs, cats, and horses. It opens the skin of rabbits and goats and steals their organs. Goat sucker attacks are reported daily on morning news radio reports and in El Vocero, the island's largest circulation newspaper, which is known for its gruesome crime photos, blood-red headlines, and tales of UFO landings, end quote. But then, amidst these sensationalized accounts, came a far more measured story from the Washington Post, published more than a month after the first stories and the day after Christmas. And look, I'm no newspaper magnate, but I'm willing to bet if there's a story a paper feels an obligation to cover but doesn't exactly take too seriously, they'd probably publish it when fewer people are probably reading the news. I don't know. Just a hunch. The Post wrote, quote, A blood-sucking alien predator is ravaging animals throughout the Puerto Rican countryside, or so says this town's mayor and scores of uneasy rural dwellers, end quote. I'm sorry, did I say this story was measured? <laughs> My bad. Quote, I was looking off the balcony one night and I saw it step out of a bright light in the backyard. 
25-year-old Ismail Negron said. It was about three or four feet tall, with skin like that of a dinosaur. It had bright red eyes the size of hen's eggs, long fangs, and multicolored spikes down its head and back. True to its name, the creature attacked the family goat, said Negron, draining the blood from its neck and disemboweling the animal. The mysterious creature earned its tag because many of its earliest victims reportedly were goats. But according to the nearly daily accounts of animal maulings, its diet also included cattle, chicken, sheep, pigs, dogs, and cats, even peacocks. End quote. The Post recounts the town's efforts to capture the animal, including a 200-person hunt led by Canavanas Mayor Jose R. Soto, who told The Post, This is not a joke. A number of my constituents have lost animals in the past few months. We're taking it very seriously because it's killing animals right now, but people could be next. Ultimately, the Kill the Beast-style hunt was unsuccessful, but Soto claimed the Chupacabra got the hint because wherever the search party had gone, the Chupacabra never visited again. All joking aside, officials in PR had cause for concern beyond the economic impact to the farmers whose livelihood was being sucked dry by whatever this thing was. Puerto Rico had experienced a drop in tourism in the years leading up to this because of poor water conditions caused by an oil spill. The industry was just starting to bounce back when goats and peacocks and such were turning up drained and gutted all over the place. Not exactly the kind of thing you're going to put on the front of your tourism pamphlet. I'm no tourism industry expert, but it seems to me a come hunt the chupacabra package would be a cash cow albeit a cash cow that's been gutted and drained of its blood. Offer a reward for whoever bags the beast, and people basically pay a bunch of money to visit Puerto Rico on the gamble that they'll win the reward. And not only does that lucky person win the money, but they also get whatever fame and fortune comes with capturing a new, possibly alien species. After all, by that point, chupacabra fever had swept the nation of Puerto Rico. According to the Post, quote, the chupacabras had begun to acquire an almost outlaw notoriety. The attacks have inspired three songs, countless spoofs on primetime television, and even a new alcoholic beverage, which its inventors said was named after the chupacabras because nobody knows what's in it, end quote. Why Taco Bell didn't introduce an all-new chalupa cabra goat meat chalupa, no one knows. Talk about a missed marketing opportunity. Unfortunately, officials in Puerto Rico didn't see the financial benefit of leaning into a creepy cryptid mystery, and the official line was basically nothing to see here, folks. According to the Washington Post article, quote, Jose Espinoza, public information officer for the state civil defense, said that while many here have mentioned everything from aliens to vampires, he is certain there is a rational, down-to-earth explanation for the recurrent attacks. But he has yet to figure it out. Perhaps it is one of those exotic pets, such as alligators or snakes, that were so popular in the 1960s and 1970s, he said. It is also possible that an animal escaped from one or two wildlife theme parks that used to operate here, including one on the Canavanas border, end quote. And I mean, sure, but like, unless Madeline Tolentino was completely making up what she saw standing on the street that day, which is possible, of course, it would be hard to mistake an alligator or a snake for that 
alien slash kangaroo slash chickens slash wolf slash dinosaur thing she described. Also, one would think that if a wildlife theme park was missing an animal and then all this livestock was turning up dead, they might have made a phone call at some point to be like, uh, about those dead animals. Plus, while the official line was that the culprit was an alligator or a snake, a local veterinarian who had examined a Doberman and seven rabbits that were apparently killed by this mysterious animal was not as convinced. He told the Post. In each case, the cause of death were two deep puncture wounds under the right side of the neck. The wounds extended into the animal's brains, killing them instantly. The wounds were about the diameter of a drinking straw and three to four inches in length. They weren't compatible with the bite of a dog, a monkey, or any animal I've ever studied. He also said the animals he examined didn't have rigor mortis despite having been dead for at least 12 hours. So, what was this thing that was going around terrorizing farmers and dog owners all over Puerto Rico? It won't surprise you, stranger, to know that in the absence of any kind of definitive answers, people started filling in the blanks with whatever they could come up with. According to a piece from the Texas Observer from 2016, quote, some asserted that it was an escaped United States genetics experiment or an alien collecting blood to spread AIDS. Its form fluctuated wildly. The number of spines on its back, whether it crept or leaped, or flew on bat wings or floated through the air using psychokinesis, end quote. I guess this explains why The X-Files was so popular in the 90s. That and Gillian Anderson and her cute, pouty lips. There's a whole generation of us who owe a debt of gratitude to Gillian Anderson for our queer awakening. Anyway. And of course, there was the alien theory fueled by the regular, we don't know what it is, therefore it must be alien logic. And probably by Madeline Tolentino's description of the thing, which included a very classically 1960s cult space film version of a little green man typeface. Ufologists, which was not a job I knew existed until I started making Strange and Unexplained, Jorge Martin wrote a paper in 1996 called The Chupacabras Phenomenon, in which he connected reported UFO sightings in the same areas in which animals were found drained and gutted. Martin claimed, A female witness also observed the creature in the Canavanes municipality in the early days of November. The ABE jumped or flew and entered a round, luminous object over her car. Martin then introduces another possible culprit describing genetically engineered creatures made by enemy governments. This theory, he says, cannot be discarded, and I'll let him explain the evidence thereof because it's... a lot. A Chinese-Russian scientist by the name of Dr. Tian Kan Chen has produced genetic manipulations which have created new species of electronically crossed plant and animal organisms. Chinese and Russian? Really covering the commie bases there, Martin. Incidentally, I couldn't find a Dr. Tsin Ken Chen online, and that's probably because he's been erased by the man. 
Can Chen developed an electronic system whereby he can pick up the bioenergetic field of the DNA of living organisms and transfer it electronically to other living organisms. By these means, he has created incredible new breeds of ducks chickens with physical characteristics of both species, goats rabbits, and new species of plants such as corn wheat, peanut sunflower seeds, and cucumber watermelons. This gives a whole new meaning to turducken. These are produced by linking the genetic data of different living organisms contained in their bioenergetic fields by means of ultra-high frequencies biological linking. If the Russians have created this technology, then without doubt, the U.S. and other powers have too. Therefore, it is quite possible that the chupacabras, or ABEs, could have been developed by humans. Reading this piece from the vantage point of 30 years on, one wonders where our chicken plants are, or why we don't see rabbits hopping around with goat heads, or whatever. I did see a jackalope hung on the wall of a bar in Texas once, but something tells me that wasn't real. Despite claims of aliens and nefarious enemy governments building hybrid animals for some reason, in January of 1996, Dr. Hector Garcia reported his findings over around 20 autopsies on victims of the so-called chupacabras and found nothing abnormal or supernatural, but that in all likelihood the animals were the victims of dogs. And that despite reports that the animals had been drained of their blood, Dr. Garcia found their cardiovascular systems completely intact. But Dr. Garcia's findings came too late and too boring, I guess, because pretty soon chupacabra fever had spread to the mainland and caging that mania would prove about as hard as caging the beast itself. In March of 1996, police in Sweetwater, Miami, Florida, were called to survey the scene in two families' yards where a total of 69 animals lay dead. And though there were no descriptions of the conditions in which the animals were found, the assumption was that they'd been attacked by a chupacabra. This, despite cries from Ron McGill, assistant curator at Metro Dade Zoo, who visited the scene in person and investigated for himself. McGill told the St. Petersburg Times, It mushroomed way out of proportion. I'm sitting here literally in shock. They were just totally not listening. The marks made to either the dead animal's necks or hind legs were unmistakably that of a large dog. Also, he said, Contrary to the popular belief, all the animals were full of blood. I took a knife and cut into the carotid artery, and blood came out of the carcass. Furthermore, McGill said, far from being dropped in the yard by a UFO or floating into it, there was a very clear space under the fence that had been dug out. It was a classic dog digging. You could see all the dirt pushed back and the dog hair on the bottom of the fence. Not only that, but there were clear dog tracks near the bodies. But why, then, the residents wanted to know, had the dog not eaten any of the animals, but instead had seemingly just attacked them and left them there? Dogs don't kill for food. They kill for fun. It's a thrill. Is that... Is that true? If so, I am looking at my golden doodle in a whole new way. Someone is sleeping in the basement tonight. Actually, come to think of it, Noodle has been caught twice with dead animals in her mouth like limp rope toys. So. 
McGill assured residents that two years earlier, a dog attacked 15 antelopes at the zoo in the same manner. But McGill's calm explanation fell on deaf ears. By the next month, a paper in Corpus Christi, Texas, reported that cities all across the mainland were reporting chupacabra sightings, including Miami, New York, New Jersey, San Antonio, and San Francisco. Remember my joke about Taco Bell's chalupacabra? Well, I wasn't far off. According to the piece in the St. Petersburg Times, there was at least one place selling a chupacabra sandwich. My idea was better. There were t-shirts, a geosite-style website by a kid from Princeton University, and songs with lyrics like, Gotta have fun and party in case the goat sucker gonna get me. I couldn't find that one. It's not even on the Princeton Kids geosite. But radio stations were apparently playing chupacabra-themed bops with titles like Goat Busters and Chupacalifragilisticexpialidocious. One radio station even offered a $1,000 prize for anyone who produced a photo of the chupacabra. The Spanish-language talk show Cristina devoted an entire hour to the chupacabra, which, as far as I can tell, would be like if Ricky Lake had done a whole episode on the Mothman. Like, sure, it's not CNN, but still, people are going to see a whole hour of TV about this thing and believe it's real. Mayor Soto, from way back in the beginning of this episode, who was running for re-election, told Cristina's viewers, Whatever it is, it is highly intelligent. Today, it is attacking animals, but tomorrow, it may attack people. Which was a weird re-election tactic. Like, you failed to catch it with 200 people in your search party. And if it does graduate to killing people, wouldn't your failure to capture it kind of contribute to that? Plus, it turns out this guy hadn't led just one search for the elusive chupacabra, but had been leading weekly searches and had come up goose eggs and was still running on the Be Afraid of the Chupacabra ticket. I'm no mayoral campaign manager, but that just seems like a bad strategy. Meanwhile, officials in Zapata, Texas, were doing what officials in Puerto Rico still seemed reluctant to do and leaned all the way into the chupacabra mania by throwing a chupacabra festival. According to the press announcement in the Associated Press, quote, the festival will feature a chupa cowboy roping contest. Adults will rope steers and children will rope baby goats, of course. There's also a chupacabra chili goat sucker cook-off and a cabrito cook-off. Cabrito, a Mexican delicacy, is baby goat. A blood drive benefiting the South Texas Blood and Tissue Center also will be conducted. Tickets are $3 a person, but children 12 and younger may attend free. Proceeds will go towards the Boys and Girls Club of Zapata County, the Zapata County Chamber of Commerce, and the Zapata Civic Club. McVeigh said the town plans to make the festival an annual event and might even expand it next year to include extraterrestrials and UFOs, which will give people plenty of ideas for floats and costumes, end quote. By May of 96, chupacabra sightings were coming in from Mexico, with people claiming to have seen a huge bat-like creature swooping over their fields before finding their animals dead the next morning. Parents were refusing to send their children to school, which seems like a pretty serious leap. 
Farmers were refusing to go out before dawn, which is usually a bad idea in a place where it gets too hot to do much of anything after dawn. And according to a piece in the Miami Herald, in Mexico, the chupacabra was, quote, blamed for attacks on everything from barnyard chickens to humans in nearly every state. A Durango farmer said his 32 hens were massacred and sucked dry. A hired hand at the ranch in Guanajuato said he saw the creature, a yard-high dinosaur kind of thing with fangs, bulging eyes, bat wings, a needled spine, and kangaroo legs. End quote. In Juarez, a woman claimed a chupacabra bit her neck and flew away. Turns out, though, she actually just had a hickey from the man she was having an affair with and thought she could get away with blaming the love bite on a bat-like goat sucker instead. According to a 2016 piece in the Texas Observer, after Mexico, reports came in from, quote, Brazil, Chile, Spain, and Portugal. Within a few years, the chupacabra had transformed into a full-blown global phenomenon, end quote. It wasn't until 2000 that someone successfully managed to shoot and kill a chupacabra. A rancher in Nicaragua shot and wounded the beast that was attacking his goats. A few days later, he found the thing's carcass. Unfortunately, and not surprisingly, however, it turned out the alien beast was almost certainly a large dog with mange. For some reason, the rancher who shot the dog was furious when he was told the truth and insisted it was a conspiracy against him, claiming... Its teeth were rose-colored. It reared up on its hind legs and sucked the blood from at least 120 sheep. Maybe he was still holding out hope that radio station would give him a thousand bucks? Four years later, a farmer in Texas saw what he described as a startling-looking creature standing in his yard in the middle of the day eating from a mulberry tree. Listen, y'all, even a blood-sucking carnivore needs some fiber once in a while. And so he did exactly what you would expect anyone who saw an animal they didn't recognize eating a plant and not really causing any harm. He shot it to death. I guess he buried the thing without taking any pictures or reporting it to anyone because an article in Express News the following year reported that a, quote, UFO investigator, end quote, dug up the carcass to test the creature's DNA, later stating the results were inconclusive. A piece from 2021 in a paper called My San Antonio recounts an encounter from 2004 in Pollock, Texas, in which a woman claimed to have killed the animal who'd been killing her chickens. The woman, who happened to have been a retired vet tech, said she'd never encountered such a thing in her life. She took a photo. We'll post it on our Instagram and you can determine for yourself. Stranger, I'm no canine expert, but that there is a dog. At the very least, it looks nothing like Madeline Tolentino's description or any of the other descriptions. No bulging eyes, no slit for a nose, no chicken claws, no spikes on its back, and definitely no wings. Another town in Texas found three so-called chupacabra corpses after a spate of dead chickens had been strewn about. One resident, Phyllis Kenyon, told the Texas Observer that she'd saved the head of one of the alleged chupacabras in part to run DNA tests and in part so she could 
mount it on her wall. There is no end to my fascination with human beings. And wouldn't you know, the DNA tests that Kenyon's new wall decor made possible came back a virtually identical match to that of a coyote. Wah, wah, wah. Kenyon, despite having apparently beheaded the very thing for testing, refused to believe the results. Then again, mounting the head of a coyote who probably had mange is a lot weirder than mounting the head of a mythical cryptid. Phyllis Kenyon claimed that all five tests she had done at five different universities on the animal were identical and none of them matched any animal in the archives. Not so, says author Benjamin Rafford, quote, author of several books on monsters and paranormal phenomenon, managing editor of the journal, The Skeptical Inquirer, and live science columnist, end quote, who investigated Kenyon's claims and the tests done by various universities. According to Radford's book, as the Texas Observer reported, quote, Texas State University researchers found that the DNA was a complete match for a coyote. Other labs concurred. But Kenyon was undeterred. She kept the carcass and skull in her freezer and has a taxidermy mount of the gnarled, ugly creature on display, end quote. That's some serious mental gymnastics just to hang an ugly head on your wall. According to that piece in The Observer, quote, when pressed, Kenyon said she doesn't know what her chupacabra is. She speculated that perhaps it's a hybrid with a Mexican wolf or an escapee from some dog breeder in the area. But she's adamant that it isn't a normal mangy coyote. Perhaps, she said, the chupacabras are a type of coyote, but of a rare sort. Naturally hairless, probably living underground, and very fond of blood, end quote. But Radford points out that even the animals killed by Kenyon's mounted head don't follow the pattern of the alleged chupacabra. Those animals weren't exsanguinated, or in other words, vampirized. In his book, Tracking the Chupacabra, Radford recounts his investigation in which he managed to trace all the various accounts of the chupacabra all the way back to Madeline Tolentino herself. Tolentino gave the first interview about having seen the creature in the second week of August, 1995. And Radford went, I wonder what movies came out around then? Which is why Benjamin Radford is a genius and I'm a podcaster. I mean, honestly. Whose brain goes there? Benjamin Radford's brain, that's who. Turns out, about a month earlier, a little film called Species was released. Now, I didn't see Species, but I watched the trailer on IMDb, and aside from having everyone and their mother in it, it's about a lab of some kind fucking around and finding out by splicing some shit into an egg and creating a creature that looks a lot like the creature Madeline Tolentino described a few weeks after the movie had been released. Turns out, the lab where they create the alien creature thingy in the movie is in, wait for it, Puerto Rico. Radford asked Tolentino if she just so happened to see this movie that just so happened to come out a few weeks before she just so happened to see the Chupacabra, and she was like, you know, now that you mention it, I just so did happen to see that movie. Why do you ask? And Radford was like, Eureka! 
Tolentino said she knew the movie was fiction, but thought that it was a fictionalized version of real events. In his book, Radford wrote, quote, It would be like an American audience in 2008 watching the film The Hurt Locker about a bomb disposal expert in the Iraq War. Though the movie is clearly fictional, it is set in a real place and has elements of real life. Tolentino believed that what she saw in the film was actually happening in real life. End quote. And in 2022, Brian Dunning of Skeptoid Magazine wrote, Quote, again, this all came directly from Tolentino herself. She saw species, believed it was a fact that alien hybrid creatures like the one in the film were running about loose in her area. It should be little wonder that her personal description of such a creature matched the one in the movie, feature for feature, end quote. Look, no one is saying that Madeline Tolentino hallucinated a creature out of thin air. The most likely thing that happened is that she saw a dog or a coyote with mange and was understandably freaked the fuck out. And then when she gave her description a year or so later, the image in her head had morphed with the image of the creature from the movie. Maybe there never was a vampiric alien kanga chicken porky dino wolf at all. Maybe the real chupacabra is the friends we made along the way. But maybe what's even stranger, stranger, is that a totally mundane thing happened. A tale as old as time. A mangy coyote killed some tamish, mostly domesticated animals, but somehow the paranoid collective subconscious struck again and perverted those simple facts into something much creepier, creating a terrifying monster, sightings of which then swept the entire globe, proving once again that no one is safe from the human mind. Next time on Strange and Unexplained, in the early 1900s, two friends took a walk right out of the present day and into Marie Antoinette's very psyche. The Moberly and Jourdain time slip. Can't get enough strange and unexplained? Join us over on Patreon for three bonus episodes a month for just five bucks. Or for seven dollars, you get three bonus episodes and all the regular episodes ad-free. Join us over on patreon.com slash strange and unexplained. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, produced by the amazing Natalie Grillo and Angela Palladino, researched by Jess McKillop, editing by Eve Kerrigan, sound engineering and mixing by Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Crystal Simmons, Ryan Garcia, and Luther Creek. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for a story we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com and fill out the contact form. Find us on Instagram at SNUpod and join our Facebook page to join in the conversation. If you like our show, please do help us out by rating and reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. A five-star review and a quick sentence really helps the show out a lot. If you don't like our show, you can leave a terrible review. The name of the podcast is The Creation Podcast. <laughs>